New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. shame hold us in a dungeon of victimhood, anger, and despair? How can we throw off these shackles and recover our true essence of love, compassion, and beauty? How do we find our way to forgiveness? We'll be exploring these and many other questions today with our guest, Renita Johnson. Renita Johnson, an African-American daughter of a preacher, grew up initially in the southern part of the U.S and later in Northern California. She came of age during the Civil Rights Movement and is a certified integral coach and convener and guide of sacred women's circles. Johnson has worked with inclusion and diversity issues since the 1980s and convenes a monthly forgiveness circle in Berkeley, California. She's the author of Coming to Forgiveness, A Daughter's Story of Race, Rage, and Religion. Join us for the next hour as we explore unconditional forgiveness, love, and self-respect with our guest, Ronita Johnson. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Ronita, welcome. Oh, thank you, Justine. It's really wonderful to be with you today. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. I'd like to go back. I know our listeners would be very interested in your early, early days, your early childhood, which was in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I believe. So can you describe a little bit about your family, and your brother, your sister? Who, what was your configuration? What was going on? Well, actually, we were in northern uh, Louisiana. My family is from the southern part of Louisiana. My my mother was born in Lafayette, my father in Abbeville, and we have family all in New Orleans and Baton Rouge and all those uh, parts down, you know, with the etouffee and the red beans and rice. Uh, however, um, when we moved from San Francisco to Louisiana, when I was five years old, we moved to Minden, Louisiana. And um, I had just been informed by my mother that my father was going to be called to the ministry. And I had asked her, what does call mean? And I was soon to find out in, in real life what it meant to be a minister's daughter as we moved to, to Minden. And um, it was quite an eye opener for me. Um, you know, I would love for you to do a reading from your book because it, it just describes so well what it was like for a five-year-old at that time in your father 
early ministry. So could you could you read for us, please? Well, this is a couple of years after I realized that there's an expectation um, that my father has of me and an expectation that the membership has on me. And this is called I Got the Spirit. As dad's reputation for being a fire spitting preacher spread, he got invitation after invitation to preach at church revivals. There was a long list of why I didn't like church revivals. The outhouse smelled so bad. I couldn't sit on the seat, so I'd hover as best I could, trying not to tinkle on my panties. I didn't like it when creepy insects slithered across the floor. I didn't like flying cockroaches, being bitten by mosquitoes, cobwebs, and giant spiders that sat right over the big hole and stared at me while I tried to pee. I didn't like dark roads with no lights where roaming cows abandoned dogs and wild foxes jumped in front of headlights while dad swerved to the right or left, nearly running off the road. I didn't like conversations about colored people driving around after dark in the woods because you never knew if a, if a policeman or a group of white people would pull you over and you didn't have to be doing anything wrong either. All you had to do was show up at the wrong place and the wrong time, and you'd be dead. I was too young to die. I didn't like being squished between three adults in the back seat of our car, getting home after midnight, or looking at the yellow and red matter of dead moths, butterflies, crickets, and flies on the car bumper. I didn't like being the oldest without a choice. Robert, my younger brother, got to stay with Mom Retta. Even worse than all those things, I didn't like the routine driving back and forth from our house to the country with Frame Church House for five nights straight, sometimes ten, back and forth. I'd be too sleepy the next morning to talk with Doris, my doll, who was getting very old. It was August 1956, our fourth day of five, and I was fanning myself with hot air as the sun began to recede. Dad had gone inside to prepare himself and began the praise portion with the early comers. His mom and I walked in. We noticed the little church was packed and we had to sit toward the back. I had on a blue two-piece taffeta dress with a full bodice and a yellow can-can with heavy starch. It was the country and I didn't know why I had to look so fancy and polished, but mom insisted image is important. We entered as the prayer group was finishing the church already in full swing with amen and hallelujah. An old man led the moaning like he was going up and down musical scales, but missing every other note. The whole congregation would respond back. Every now and then the leader would speak, I love the Lord, he heard my cry. And the people would say, I love the Lord, he heard my cry. They would go up, and down and on and on like this for 30 minutes, taking turns until the people were all stirred up. I sat looking all around at the rocking bodies, closed eyes and shaking heads, the shape of faces, funny hats, flower sack dresses, bald heads, bushy eyebrows, rusty ankles, feet with bunions, big bosoms and big bottoms that spread across hard folding chairs with slits. A few children with runny noses and bare feet sat on the floor, but nobody had on taffeta. Dad was seated in the pulpit with all the other preachers around him, 
twitching in their seats, sitting on the edges and tapping their shoes against each other in anticipation of what was to come. Each night had gotten better. More people, more souls saved, and the little wicker baskets overflowing with dollar bills. The senior pastor chuckled as he introduced Dad. He's got a fire burning in his soul, a man of God, anointed. Been tearing up this place for three nights. If you never heard him before, you're in for a treat. The people responded, amen, yes, sir. All I knew was it was hotter than the night before and not a fan with benevolent funeral home printed on it in sight. Dad closed his eyes in deep meditation, preparing himself while the pastor finished his introduction. He stood, studied the congregation for a minute and started singing, getting the folks back on their feet, continuing to stir up their emotions. As he finished his last stanza, we all bowed our heads in prayer. I usually close my eyes tight, but tonight I looked up at dozens of bugs swarming the light bulbs hanging sparsely from the ceiling. I hope they stayed there. Dad plowed into his remarks, purposefully forgetting his usual storytelling and jokes. People started standing and getting in a frenzy. Dad was the ultimate storyteller. He would make scriptures come alive with his voice and body movements. Moses parted the sea with his staff, and I visualized the ocean opening up as Dad raised his arms. Sometimes, Dad would bring props, like the time he brought a pillowcase of feathers when his text was from Deuteronomy. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them on its pinions. By the time he was finished preaching, there were feathers all over the front of the church. The janitor threatened to quit, and Dad had to give him a raise. Dad used any antic he could to get people to repent and come to Jesus. Over time, I noticed every message was the same. Different titles and scriptures all leading to the same conclusion. If you don't do right, you're going to hell. I paid attention to that, even though I would drift off into my own little world wishing I were at home, running my fingers across the piano keys or playing with my dolls. I couldn't drift too far, though, because Dad would drill me after every sermon, and I'd better have the correct answer, or he'd raise his voice in me and send me to my room. The heat felt like it shot up 10 degrees as Dad ended his second point, building, always building toward the crescendo when the people would fall out all over the floor. I prepared myself for the entertainment. People yelling, screaming, and running around the church like they were on fire. All of a sudden, a large, dark brown beetle headed straight down from the ceiling like it was a kamikaze bomber pilot and flew into the bosom of my dress. I hated those bugs. They made a fierce buzzing noise and stuck to whatever they attached themselves to. I let out a loud, deafening, ah! and started beating my chest with both hands. I knocked over my chair, then moms as people quickly moved out of the way. I continued kicking and screaming, ah! and beating my chest while mom tried to calm me down. Dad kept on preaching in competition with my shrieking, ah! Sure, he had struck a nerve within me. I fell to the floor, beating myself and rolling over back and forth, hoping to kill the buzzing noise. 
Mom was beside herself, wondering what's gotten into her. Dad's voice grew louder, and other people now joined me, starting to scream and holler as I knocked over more chairs. The floor of the wooden church started to shake as if it were going to collapse. I thought I was going to pass out from exhaustion as mom let me be and the usher stood there paralyzed. I beat my chest like a gorilla until the sound stopped and the bug was crushed on the floor. I collapsed, exhausted, my taffeta dirty from head to toe. As I stood looking for my purse with a sense of accomplishment, all I could hear was the good country folk whispering, that's the preacher's kid. She's got the spirit. <laughs> it was dad's finest hour, he said, and a little child shall lead them as he stretched out his hands for invitation to discipleship. 20 people joined that night. <laughs> <laughs> so that, it, that's such a vivid picture of a small country church in a revival session. These are days that they're doing these sessions every single day, not just on Sunday, but they do them five days straight. And, and it's quite an emotional experience, but for you to see it as a little girl worried about the bugs and in your taffeta dress. I, I really thank you for sharing that with us. I want to tell our listeners that I'm here with Ronita Johnson, and she's the author of Coming to Forgiveness, A Daughter's Story of Race, Rage, and Religion. And if you'd like to be in touch with her and her work and her forgiveness work, you can go to her website, www.comingtoforgiveness.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Ronita Johnson, and we've just been, I had a wonderful reading of some part of your childhood being a daughter of a preacher and sitting in your taffeta dress in the pew trying to be good, and a bug flies in, oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, tell me, uh, you mentioned in that reading, you said image, your mother said image was very important. So how did that affect your your young life? Yes, image was very important. Um, my mother was the kind of woman who felt everything needed to be in its place. She very, very much was about uh, taking care of the household. The house was neat and clean. And she taught me about um, 
cooking and making the sheets a certain way and tucking the sheets a certain way. And, and uh, whenever people came to our house, the house had to be spick and span. I had to scrub the house, the floors, make sure that everything was, was neat. And then when it came to my clothes, we didn't have necessarily a lot of money, but we had the best that money could buy. She was the kind of person who it was better to have two good dresses, good uh, expensive dresses, uh, and two good pairs of shoes than 10 dresses that she thought were not well made. So that instilled in me um, how important it was to, to look your best and have on the best quality as possible. Because she always thought that people see you before they know you. And so as, as uh, we were called colored in that time, uh, as, a, as a colored young girl, it was important that when a person saw me, I looked like someone that they might want to have an interaction with, that I was clean, well scrubbed, well groomed, and that I was polite. So image was really important for her and that, that was instilled in me and it went through, it's still a part of who I yes. am as a person. And being a preacher's daughter, um, there were other expectations. Uh, so you might describe your father and what he expected out of you. Well, my father was, uh, education was important, manners was important, um, being studious was important, being respectful was important, um, loving Jesus, talking about Jesus. I knew all the, the books of the Bible, could recite all the, the books in the Bible, uh, expected me to be the example for all the other children and for all the other parents that when you looked at our family and with me being the oldest, my brother is six years younger than me and so he really didn't have a role at that time. Uh, and my sister is 10 years uh, younger than me and so by that time things had changed. But I was looked at as the example for the family so that other uh, parents would know that this is the way your child should act. And this is what your child should know about Jesus and um, how to sit in church and um, reading from the Bible. And so there was uh, there was an expectation that he had on me. But he was he was he was very well liked. My father was a dynamic minister and people loved him very very a man with a vision, uh, very much in the community, very much involved in, in the civil rights and uh, and, um, and and love by mm -hmm. the people in, in our church. Ronita, that's a very, very straight path for a youngster who's very curious, very spirited, even even somewhat willful as you know the oldest brilliant daughter <laughs> was uh, and continues to be. Uh, so how did that mesh with your father? Oh, it was very difficult because I felt I was living two lives. I, I had been born into this family. I mean, I know now that I've uh, done some reading about being born into these families, whether we believe that or not. I didn't understand why I was in this family. It didn't work, you know? It, it was like, I'm in the wrong family. This is not the family I was supposed to be born into. I wanted a much more laid back family, um, family that wasn't so strict and wasn't so much about discipline. Um, but my father was very strict and it caused um, a division in me where I felt there was one foot on one shore and one foot on another shore and life was passing me by in the middle. 
torn because I had this, I was a willful child and I was thinking all the time and asking questions and asking questions. And my father didn't believe in questions. He believed that this is the way it is and you don't ask questions. You just accept what I say and do what I say and you don't have a mind of your own. Well, I did. I did have a mind of my own. What was I supposed to do with that? It was very difficult. It was very difficult. And I didn't have friends because my my father felt that um, I guess he felt that I was going to be persuaded, persuaded in some way by the environment of of other families. And so I didn't have anyone to play with. And so I was in these questions with myself, talking to God and asking God these questions but basically no one else to talk to. And it made for a very lonely, very lonely mm-hmm. life. I talked to my dolls and I'd ask God all the time, why, 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 why? Of course, most of the time I didn't get any answers. Well, Ronita, also um, you describe in the book and your father would, would also spank you or, or when you really didn't behave. And there was one particular instance that was so traumatic that it, it affected your brother. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, spank would not be the word that I would choose. I would choose um, um, more like uh, he was into to whipping. So there was whipping and whooping. And whipping is when he would strike me seven or eight times and I usually would just get a stiff upper lip and I wouldn't cry. But then there was what I call a whooping. And a whooping was when you just were like in tears and just begging for mercy. But there's this one time that um, when I was 15 years old, and this is really what uh, where the book came from because I didn't start out to write a book about my life. But this particular incident happened when I was about 15 years old. And uh, what happened was I just wanted to be normal like everybody else. I saw my uh, my friends at school because I didn't have any friends coming to the house. But there were people that I that I associated with in, at school. And I just wanted to be like all the other girls. And and so I, I, I created this plan. And as a result of this plan, um, I, I was severely, uh, severely beaten and uh, it, it left a, a scar on me for, for most of my life. And as a result, my brother uh, began to stutter. And it was, uh, it was quite a, it changed the whole family's life. I think in ways that we never talked about as a family, but I know that it, it, was, um, it was something that really was traumatic for all of us because we all experienced it. But you as the oldest, you, you got the brunt of it, the first, first salvo, so to speak. I did, and um, I don't, I, my father had always been a heavy disciplinarian, and he, he learned it from, I believe, his own mother. Uh, but I, I, I think there was, a, there was this unresolvedness inside of him about who he was. For me, I've always acknowledged it as passing uh, the part in you that hasn't healed, passing that on from generation to generation. I don't think he had an opportunity to even acknowledge that he had this really dark secret inside of him, that he was an abuser. He was an emotional abuser. He was a mental abuser. And uh, and he was a physical abuser. Um, so it, 
I don't think he dealt. He ever dealt yeah. with that. Yeah. And I and that that's what happens in families. It's like a hidden thing. You you know that something may not be right, but but as the the minister or the doctor or the lawyer, you know there's something not right. But it just goes untreated. Yes. And it, it manifests itself in families. And and uh, and the way that it manifested in me was that I became um, I didn't like myself. I, I, I really felt unworthy. I felt that my life didn't matter. And, and, and it just tumbled into the rest of my life for the next 25 years. Now, Ronita, let's talk about. The, the writing of the book, uh, why you, part of the plan is to tell your story, but you waited a lot of years before you told your story. Why was that? I was angry. I was angry. I was um, pissed off. I was disappointed. I felt unworthy. I had, you know, I tried um, to kill myself. Um, I had looked for love in all the wrong places. I just felt that uh, I didn't want to write an angry book. There are a lot of angry books out there. And I, uh, something, I knew when I was 15 after this incident that I would write this book. I just didn't know how long it was going to take me to come to this place of compassion and grace and love and peace within myself. And I knew that I didn't want to write a book until that happened. So it took a long time. It took a, it really, yeah. really took yeah. a long time, longer than I would have ever anticipated. But that, that tells me that those feelings have been ingrained in me since I was a really young child. I had a lot of things happen to me. And as each thing happened, the layers and layers of abuse in its many forms led me to believe that I wasn't worthy. And so who would even want to hear a story about an unworthy person? So what was the catalyst to move you from that deep anger and resentment and lack of self-esteem to one where you could forgive and be loving and well um there were little signs along the way after late 30s um i did meet a wonderful man who um became my husband and he loved me unconditionally and i thought that after we were married all the healing that uh, I wanted to happen would happen mis just magically that, okay, I'm happily married because I had been looking for myself in relationships, thinking that if I found a half of a, a man and I had a half of me, that a half and a half made a whole. Mm -hmm. What I found was that you can't go to relationship with half of yourself. You must come to relationship with all of yourself. So I thought I had come to a relationship with my husband and all of me, but I found that I still wasn't happy. Something wasn't right. And what I realized was that I still had uh, more healing to do. That even though I was happily married to this wonderful person, that I still had not totally forgiven myself. I 
still had not totally come to a place of finding that I was worthy. And that would take uh, a circle, a circle of uh, listening me into my sense of self in a way that I never thought was possible. Let's talk more about that listening into me. Uh, that's a wonderful phrase, Renita. I'm here with Renita Johnson. She's the author of Coming to Forgiveness, A Daughter's Story of Race, Rage, and Religion. And if you'd like to be in touch with her and her work, you can go to the website www.comingtoforgiveness.com or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Renita Johnson, and we're talking about forgiveness. Uh, and you mentioned in the last segment, Renita, that um, circles, something about circles and listening into yourself. Uh, say more about that. Well, I had never been, when I was invited to my first circle, um, I knew it was something unusual because I was asked to, there were 60 people, and I was asked to go and stand in front of each person and glaze into their eyes, and this was very intimidating for me, um, and I, but I did it, and um, I'm like, oh, this, this, ooh, what is this all about? And over, over the next several days, the, the conversation was like a conversation that I had never uh, experienced before. The questions, the way that the questions were being asked, the attention to the questions. I would come to know that, that there, was, there were these qualities called dialogue, where there's this deep sense of listening. Um, there is an opportunity for identifying the assumptions that I have and for suspending the judgments that we all have and for reflection. But it's done in this very sacred way where there's a uh, an altar in the center and a candle and uh, a chime. And, and, and the, the, the time is slowed down so that I can actually hear myself in a way that I had not heard myself before because I was always in a hurry when I was in any kind of a group setting. But by intention, the pace was slowed down so I could pay attention to my breath. Don't you find, Ronita, when someone is there with you, listening deeply to you, then you find yourself saying something maybe you've never said before? Absolutely. The voice that came for me was the voice that I didn't know. It was, but, but I think it was a voice that, that was always there that had been sitting there quietly being nourished and paying attention, but it had not had the opportunity to speak. So what happened in the circle was that voice that I knew was there was invited to, to finally say something. And 
it was it was both wonderful and frightening because I didn't know what this voice was going to say. And then it had so many experiences. That voice was angry. That voice was pissed off. But at the same time, it was so uh, in a place of welcoming the opportunity to finally speak. And that voice had to find this way to compassion because it started off in a really rocky place. And it started off being um, angry and abusive and uh, not knowing how to be present to, it, present to itself in a way that felt right in my body mm-hmm. because it was, a, it, was a, it was new, it was new. Um, and, but I found that the environment of all the other people was that they made the space for the voice to find itself. What was it like to hear someone else go through this process as you not speaking now, but you as a listener? What was that like being on the other side of it as someone else was going through this same process? Well, it was exciting. It was exciting because it said to me that there was a possibility for me that I had never imagined based on my old experiences and, and you know, and what I had been exposed to. So it was, it was, it was, uh, it was wonderful. And I was in such a place of envy and because I would hear a person express themselves or ask a question or be be totally present to what was happening in the moment. And I could tell that by just the energy in the room, you know, with just energy. And I could, I could tell that. And it was, it was very exciting. But to tell you the truth, I didn't really believe it was possible for me. I didn't really believe that this was something that I could experience as a whole person. You know, Ronita, I, I have to share just a brief story of my own in my first circle when someone spoke the truth of what was really happening in the moment. And it, it blew my socks off she, because she was speaking something that was, that was invisible, like in the circle. Uh, and this was where we, we, had, we had worked with some clay, with some mm-hmm. Fimo, and we were making little mm-hmm. goddesses or little things that, that we were going to put in the oven and fire. And, uh, and she had brought, Robin had brought the Fimo. And as we were all working on our little objects and, and uh, we'd look at each other and all of a sudden I see somebody was doing something and I, I think to myself, oh, that's really good. Mine isn't so good. Uh, hers, it's really good. And finally Robin spoke up and she said, this isn't fair. And we looked at her and she said, I brought the clay and everybody's object looks better than mine. <laughs> and, it, you know, Ronita, it just freed up the whole room. We just all burst into laughter because we each had this kind of lack of self-esteem about our mm-hmm. own creation. Mm-hmm. And she gave it voice. And that was when the circle really took off because then we had some sort of permission to say our truth, uh, not not saying you know your truth, but my truth. I'm feeling really frustrated right now, and here's what's going on. It was it was an eye opener for me and started me on my journey of circle work. Well, isn't that the way it is? This thing about judgments. We, I mean, here here I am 
with this background. And at this particular circle, I was the only uh, African-American person in the group. So I walk in the room and there are all these eyes to look at. And of course, I'm the, all of my past comes forth. I'm like, what am I doing here? And by the second day, there was this woman named uh, Peggy. And Peggy was crawling around on the floor. And then she we, we were asked to introduce ourselves. And she was crawling around on the floor. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, 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 it just totally blew away any images that I had that there was a certain way for me to be. Remember, I'm thinking about my mother and I have to sit up straight and be polite and I'm still this person. And wear and, your taffeta. Right, and wear my taffeta. And I had uh, gotten my clothes together, making sure I looked right for these three days. I was in the woods, by the way, but I still was dressed right. And this woman's crawling around on the floor. It just really blew me away. And I said, you know what? Maybe this is a place for me. And that was my very first circle. And uh, it has become the place there's this woman, my elder in one of my circles, Ann Dozier, and she says that circle is the birthplace of the new human. And I quote that in my book. And to me, that is so true. I feel that I found myself, the lost me found myself because I was held in love. I was held in compassion. I was held in peace so that I could get all of that that was in me that had been hooking me, that had been holding me back from stepping in to the person that I am today. It, had, it, it was like I was in, um, when you have a ball and chain around your ankle and you, you're feeling that you can't um, move from one phase of your life to the next. I felt that in circle, that ball and chain was worn off and it left a freedom in me that I didn't think was possible. What advice, Ronita, would you give to people that are hearing what you're saying that's a wonderful, um, uh, what, what I would say, um, encouragement for doing a circle. What, what advice would you give people to, if they're saying, oh, I want that in my life, and let's say they're living, you know, not not in the Bay Area where they can come to your circles, but someplace else. What would you advise them to do? How to how to start one and how to bring that to their lives? Well, I, there there are um, many places on uh, there are many books on circle. There's if you Google a circle on the internet, you can find many resources there. But I would say the first thing is to sit in a place of quietness and meditate on why this is important to you and get clear about why you want a circle in your life. And sometimes people think you need, you know, 20 people or 10 people to have a circle. Perhaps it's just your friend. Start there to begin to talk about the things that you haven't talked about, to share things you haven't shared before, to maybe just sit quietly for 30 minutes and just be quiet together. Um, there are all kinds of circles. There, there are drumming circles, there are meditative circles, there are uh, circles with authentic movement, there are circles uh, where people just really talk about the things that have happened in their, in their lives, their elder circles, their mother-daughter circles, there are circles with men and women, circles with men only. So there are all circles that talk about every subject possible. But the most important thing is to get clear in yourself why this is important to you so that as you 
share with others, you have a clear understanding of what a circle could mean to you and why it's important in your own life. What is the difference, Ronita, between, let's say, this kind of circle that you're talking about and uh, of doing therapy? Yeah, well, therapy is, I've been in therapy, so, <laughs> so I know the difference. You're working with, with a therapist who's gone to school and, and they're um, asking you questions. You're lying on the couch or sitting in a chair, but circles are not therapy. Um, circles are an opportunity to, for us to be e equal in a, in therapy. You're not equal. There's the therapist and there's you in a circle. Um, and you're paying for it. And absolutely. And, it, but in a circle, you and I are the same and you and I have the opportunity to sit and be together as peers, as colleagues, we're, we both take responsibility for the circle. We both have an opportunity to speak for what we want and need in the circle. So we create it together. There's no, there's no, uh, the, the circle is both a form and practices. So the form is the, 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 the fact that we're all together in a circle with no one up or no one down. There's no hierarchy. You're talking about an actual physical circle Absolutely. where you can see everyone else. Absolutely. You're not in straight lines no, in rows. No, no, no. And, that's one of the major differences. And I absolutely have incorporated circle in the um, professional ways that I have uh, been in service. And um, so there's the, the physical and then there are these practices that, that you actually call into the circle when you want to talk to yourself and talk to each other. And can you just name a couple of the more important practices? Well, the, the, the listening, the listening for what's below the surface, because have you ever had the experience of truly being listened to? It's, a, it's an awesome experience because most times we're listening, but we're only listening with half ourselves. We're getting ready to respond to what the other person said. So there's this quality. We're practicing. Absolutely. It's like, well, I'm going to say this. And some people actually yeah. start to write to what write they're going to say down. We will talk more about these practices in just one moment. I'm here with Ronita Johnson. She's the author of Coming to Forgiveness, A Daughter's Story of Race, Rage, and Religion. And if you'd like to be in touch with her, go to www.comingtoforgiveness.com or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Renita Johnson. We're talking about the healing 
properties of sitting in a circle of friends of the heart, well, say. Ronita, can, can you say more about what, what might be important in this configuration? Well, you know, that, that first I was talking about the, the first, my first introduction to a circle. And for the next couple of years, I was in a, a co-ed circle. But it was 1997 that I was asked to be in an all-women's circle of 10 women from all over the United States. And we came together every three months. And um, there I, oh, I came there with still so much shame and guilt and bitterness. And again, here I was, the only black woman. And it's like, okay, I've said yes to this, but why can't there be someone that looks like me? And so I was kind of pissed off about that, but I had already said yes. But you know what happened? The... Um, we call it the container or the cauldron, was one of just peace, 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 love, 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 compassion, 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 where I was able to, to tell my story over and over and over again, where I felt less than, where I felt that I was unequal, where I felt all the shackles of my past just weighed down on me to the point that all the things that I could have been, I, I couldn't be because I had believed what society had told me. I had believed what I had done to myself. I had believed all the stories about how I was a terrible person and they were integrated and intertwined in me in a way that I just was a broken vessel. And it was, you know, I was professionally, I was fine. I was making money. I was in a nice house. I had a nice car. And these are the things that my mother and father had told me that when you live in a nice neighborhood and you have a certain kind of car and what, and this much money in the bank, you will be a totally whole, wonderful person. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't. And I didn't understand. But in that circle, I had an opportunity to look at myself through the eyes of these women with such love, with no judgment. I mean, I, it was unbelievable to me. Um, the fire that we lit in the center of that circle, when I would go home, I would go home with that fire still in me. And that, but it wasn't a burning fire. It was the kind of fire that, that created transformation and actual transmutation in me. I became a different person. I, for the first time, was able to face myself in a way with such love. It was, it was incredible. And my friends noticed it. And they said, we don't know what you're doing, but whatever it is, we want some of it. <laughs> <laughs> because I really did. I, I was lighter. I was brighter. I was easier. I walked on, on the earth with a, with a different uh, knowing in myself. I mean, I... I knew that I was a worthy individual. And so it was absolutely transformative for me. And so one of the things that I want to do is to um, really create a place for other women to have experience, this experience of circles. So I've always said, if you want to, if I can assist you in any way, if I can share my experiences in any way, I'm, I'm available. And um, these circles that I do every month, they're free of charge. I just want women to come 
and have the experience and then to have the experience around forgiveness because that's the other part. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about. Where where does forgiveness come in and, and how do you work to actually really come to forgiveness for it? Like you describe your own childhood is there was so much to to work with there as far as woundedness and and then culturally growing up as an African American in the American culture that has not been easy that has been has its yeah. own just by itself Absolutely. a huge cauldron there to work with so talk about this forgiveness work well you know um I didn't know it was gonna the book was gonna be called Coming to Forgiveness and it wasn't until um I was mulling over with my uh book cover designer uh, the title that that we realized that really the whole book was about forgiveness. And I used to think forgiveness was simple. It was it, biblically seven seven times seventy simple. Just and and what I had been told, forgive and forget. Just forgive, just get over it. And what I have come to know is that um, it's a very complex uh, topic, and but it's one that we don't talk about a lot in the society. There are many books that have been written. There's the 12-step program, the 9-step program, the 5-step program, the 1-step program about forgiveness. But I have come to know that forgiveness is very personal, and it can be very complicated depending on where one comes from. And where I am is that forgiveness is really about first acknowledging what happened and not being in denial with what what happened either in your past or what's happening in your in your now in your present, and then to make peace with it. Um, I I had to make peace with what happened. I, I the 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 racism, the abuse, the rage whatever I did to contribute to it or didn't, I had to make peace with that. And, and I did. And, and, and I think in the circles, I was able to share a lot of what happened to me. And as I said, the women just continued to love me. They just continued to love me, continued to love me, put their arms around me and, and let me know that it was all right, that this was just a part of life. Because I thought I was strange. I thought I was weird, but I wasn't. I found that Many people, most people experience what I've experienced in their own way. Yes. But see, we don't talk about this. No. We don't talk about the things that have happened to us and they just eat us away. And then after we make peace with it, let it go. Not that it'll ever go away because I am every experience that I have ever had. And I remember everything, but I've made peace with it. So I can. So it's think, not a matter of letting it, uh, forgetting it. It's. You're saying you make peace with it, so it's, it's still there. Absolutely, it's still there. I, I, everything that happened to me, there, there's, there's many things that I didn't put in the book because, you know, the book would have been 900 pages long. Nobody <laughs> would have read it. But I haven't forgotten any of those things. But when I think about them, I can think about them with, with kindness, and I, made, and I have made peace with them. They happen. I can allow them to lead my life, or I can allow them to say that was a part of my journey. And you know, if I hadn't, if that hadn't been my journey, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. So I, I now have said, okay, this was the road that that brought me here. This is the road that brought me to women's circles. I have traveled all over the world because of circle, and I am in a place of gratitude and gratefulness. Let me ask you, Ronita, how did you make peace 
with uh, religion, with like the religion that you grew up with and spirituality. What, what, how did you make peace with that? That was a big one. Um, growing up in, um, as a Methodist, my father did um, at one point um, actually be- become non-denominational in our church. And so I realized there were other denominations, even though I did not have an opportunity to understand any of their philosophies. But over time, I realized that um, religion, in the way that I had been introduced to it, it kind of wasn't working for me because I saw so much hypocrisy. One of the stories in the book is heaven and hell. And at a young age, I realized that Christian people, sometimes they didn't have very Christian. They weren't very loving. In fact, sometimes I would rather be with people who didn't go to church because they were more genuine. But over time, I realized that for me, it wasn't so much about religion. It was more about God. And so where I am now in my spiritual life is that I believe we're all interconnected. interconnected. I, be, I believe that God is a part of everyone's life. If you, you know, if you want to bring God into your life, you have the opportunity in whatever form. And so I do call myself more of a spiritual person and I don't so much use the name of Jesus, even though I have that in my background. So I can't say that I will ever not have that in my background, but spirituality is really about oneness. It really is about love and compassion and about peace. And um, so that's just where I, I hang out now. And it works for me. Do you have any practices that you would suggest for people to do other than the practice of doing circle, which you've mentioned, but some other practice for coming to forgiveness? Well, one of the practices that I would uh, suggest to people, as I said, there's the three things of, of, uh, that I mentioned before, but um, getting quiet with yourself and um, going through the cobwebs of your life and finding if there's any energy around anything in your background or energy in, in just in your interactions today with life. If you're getting charged from something that happens, an incident or a person calling you a name, or if you're you know, in your work or in your personal relationships or just out in the community, if you're finding yourself getting triggered all the time, then there's some work to do. So pay attention to that. Get a journal, start writing what's going on in your life, get quiet, get a meditative um, practice, if you will, and try to work through what are the things that might be hooking you. Because if you're not in a place of forgiveness, it really does impact everything in your life. I really believe that. Oh, well, I, I totally agree with you. that, And those are wonderful suggestions to be, to journal, and to uh, do a circle, to um, another, some people suggest being in nature is, is a very good way. And Move. You know, our, our, yeah. animal, our <laughs> animals uh, uh, keep, keep us on track. Mm-hmm. Our little dogs and cats can keep us on track. And I'd love to talk to you about that. I know you have a lot to say about that, but we're out of time. I just thank you so much, Ronita, for being with us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here with you, Justine. Thank you. I've been speaking with Ronita Johnson. She's the author of 
Coming to Forgiveness, A Daughter's Story of Race, Rage, and Religion. If you'd like to be in touch with her, you can go to her website, www.comingtoforgiveness.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3432. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.